This is the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 11, Gardening Jobs and Plants of Interest for February. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to help you get the very best out of your garden with our regular features such as our plant of the month, perfect pairing, two plants that go well together, jobs to do in the garden and plants of note for this time of year. I'm Richard Farrer and I'm George Munford. Coming up in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about soil science and understanding the soil, which is the fundamental component which helps your plants grow. Our plant of the month for February is Lonicera fragrantissima, winter honeysuckle, and it really is quite fragrant. I think that's where it gets its name from. Perfect pairing, two plants that complement each other are the common birch and Ophiopogon planiscarpus nigrescens which is black dragon, looks a bit like grass, but it really isn't a grass. Jobs to do in the garden and the vegetable garden. And plants of note are Philostachys nigra, or black bamboo, and Corylus avilana contorta, sometimes known as the corkscrew hazel. And it really is very corkscrew. Now, George, I thought we could talk a little bit about soil science or soil and the constituent components of soil, because that's what I'm doing in my current module of my RHS course at the moment. Ah, very good, Richard. How are you finding it? Fascinating, actually. Really, really enjoying it. I didn't realise soil was such a complex beast, to be honest, but it really is fundamental. You get that wrong and your plants aren't going to grow, are they? No. So with the very wet weather that we have at the moment, what's the best soil to have? Well... I suppose sandy soil is going to be the most free-draining. The downside of sandy soil, <laughs> doing it off the hoof here, George, the downside of sandy soil is because it's so free-draining, it's going to wash all the nutrients away. So it isn't a very nutritious soil. It is very free-draining. It's not going to get waterlogged. And being very loose, it's also not going to give a huge anchorage to significant plants. That's right. And you want, uh, with the gales that we've been having, I suppose you want... Um good anchorage to stop trees falling down for example so from that point of view clay soil which was what i've got in the back garden here a clay sort of soil that's going to give much better anchorage but the downside is it's going to get much more waterlogged much more quickly isn't it that's right i suppose that what every gardener really wants is a good loam soil that's a um uh, has various different particles in it and has all the qualities of all uh, sand silt and clay now, soil are made up, as you mentioned there, from three types of sand, uh, particle, rock particles. The clay particles are the smallest. They're less than 0. 0.002 millimetre, and that's two microns. Then you've got silt particles, which are 0. 0.002 millimetre to 0.06 millimetre in diameter. And then you've got the biggest particles, which are sand, which are 0. 0.06 mil up to 2 mil in diameter. And a loam is going to be when you've got a mixture of sand silt and clay so a nice mixture of three different particles that's right and you get different types of loam according to the proportions of the particles within them 
So you can have sandy loam or even yeah. loamy sand, depending on the yeah. Uh, yeah. different variant constituents. It's a bit of a nightmare, isn't it? That's correct. And then, of course, you can start um, manipulating the soil you've got. And then, of course, you change its description, I suppose. And how are the easiest ways for a gardener to manipulate the soil they've got? You can add manure or compost to it. That'll improve drainage. That's the organic matter, isn't it? That's right, yeah. You could add sand to a heavy clay soil to improve the drainage. You can add lime to increase the alkalinity of the soil. So that's in case you've got an acid or ericaceous type soil. Yeah, and if you don't want that type of soil, then, yeah. then you can manipulate it by adding lime. Now, I understand there are a few plants you can use as indicator species that naturally grow in certain areas, and these plants can give you a clue as to the type of soil. For example, a heather. If you see a heather growing you've got a good chance of being acid soil. That's correct. And also the birch will usually prefer an acid-type soil. Really? I didn't realise that. Yeah. You can also gauge the nutritional quality of the soil. For example, stinging nettles prefer to grow on a soil that's rich in nutrients. Yes, I read that in my course, stingy nettles. Who'd have thought the common stingy nettle would have been a good indicator of a good quality soil? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It, it is. When you learn these things and then you can you can almost tell what the soil's like uh, before you even get the spade or the fork out. I think that's fascinating. And the structure and texture of the soil, I believe you can tell that by rubbing it in your hands and feeling its consistency? Yes, so a sandy soil will be quite gritty. A clay soil will be very sticky and a loamy soil will be somewhere between the two. It's quite a skill to judge it and you need to practice it a few times to master uh, how to describe what a soil it actually is. So when you go on holiday, George, do you always get down on your hands and knees and rummage around in the soil to see what the different soil types are like? Usually no, not really, Richard, because we're usually at the beach. <laughs> All right, so it's always going to so be sandy. It's definitely a sandy soil, yeah. <laughs> it would indeed, yeah. But it's surprising, some plants can colonise incredibly sandy soil even on sand dunes can't they yes and some of them will thrive on that type of soil and they'll they'll protest if for example the soil becomes too nutritious they don't actually like that they like very free draining uh, soil and of course some plants don't like growing in soil at all they'll almost like growing on rocks a lot of the alpine plants will uh, at the top of a mountain there's not much soil up there it's all uh, shingle and grit so all they're after is very free drainage. I suppose the common herbs we have, like lavender and... Yep, lavender. I'm trying to think, what's the other one? Sage. No, no. I've got it in the front garden. It's really escaping rosemary. me. Rosemary. That's the one, rosemary, yes. Don't they like quite free draining poor soils from the Mediterranean? Yes, they do. And of course, they also like full sun. <laughs> Not much of that at the moment. Not in this country, no. <laughs> um, so, so depending on what soil you've got, there are things you can do. If it's ericaceous, you don't want an ericaceous, you can add lime. If you want to make something more acid, how can you do that? Is that by adding uh, manure? Because I, I think manure, when it's fresh, is quite acidic, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the other thing with manure is you have to make sure it's well rotted. If you can see the straw, then I wouldn't use it. But, of course, the other thing you can do is is you can dig in some ericaceous topsoil that you can buy at the garden centre or some ericaceous compost 
Or if you only want a, a small area to grow ericaceous plants in, why don't you just build a, you could build a small raised bed and then you can manipulate the soil type however you like. Raised beds can be very good for that. So you could have two or three raised beds with different soil types so you can grow a wide variety of plants, I guess. Yes, absolutely. And of course, pots and hanging baskets are also a good idea if you want to grow plants that don't suit your local garden soil. Like azaleas, we've got a few azaleas in our front garden. We grow those in pots because they like ericaceous soil, don't they? They do, absolutely, yeah. Well, if you don't know what type of soil you've got from an acid or alkali perspective, there is an easy way of trying to test that is by using a soil testing kit which tests something called pH. That's a scientific way of testing the alkalinity or acidity of a soil. pH 7 is neutral. Pure water should be neutral. Anything below that should be acidic. Anything above that will be alkali. We'll have a link to a soil testing kit that you can get from the show notes for this episode, which are at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 11. Plant of the Month Now, our plant of the month that you've chosen for February, George, is Lonicera fragrantissima, which is sometimes called the winter honeysuckle. And I believe you've chosen this partly because it is fragrant, and that's where it gets its name from, fragrantissima. That's right, Richard. It has creamy white, very fragrant flowers. So as I've said in previous episodes, anything with fragrant flowers at this time of year, plant it near the back door or on the route to the car in the morning just so you can appreciate the fragrance and it's not you're not missing it throughout the winter. It's a winter flowering shrub and it's native to China and it flowers all the way from January all the way through until March. A good reasonable period for this time of year, isn't it? It is. It's most likely to flower more prolifically if we have a mild spell of winter weather. Uh, It's quite mild now, isn't it, really? It is. For this time of year, I think we've been very mild. Yeah. And so, again, think about the positioning of it in the garden. If, for example, you had a warm or a sunny wall in the winter that gets a little bit of winter warmth, then plant it on there if you can. It's fully hardy and it can grow up to two metres tall and three metres wide. A reasonable size then. Yeah, so again you need to think about the long-term implications of that and choose a spot where it's got plenty of room to grow into. The flowers grow on the bare stems during the winter before the leaves emerge and the leaves, are when they do emerge, are a rich shade of green. If you'd like to grow Lonicera fragrantissima in your garden it needs a nutritious, moist, loamy soil which most people have got and it's one of the plants that the RHS recommend that are perfect for pollinators, so bees and other insects. And how many of those we're going to find at this time of year then? Not many, not many, no. So That's interesting that it's got its flowers out at this time of year, which really is very cold normally, isn't it? It's January and February. Yeah. And the flowers are what attracts the pollinators, yet there's not going to be too many of them at this time of year. I'm sure there are pollinators about at this time of year. We just don't. Don't see them. It's not the common ones that we know the most about. Well, if you'd like to get that plant online, um, we do have a link on our website. You can get to it at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 11. A nice little bit of winter colour. And as George says, on the way to the car in the morning or something like that, on the way to the bins around the back or something, uh, if you brush past it, a lovely smell as well. Really nice and fragrant. Now, George, perfect pairing are two plants that 
you choose, usually you choose, occasionally I do, that go well together for some reason or other. And I think this month I can guess why you've chosen these. You've chosen the birch because of its lovely white bark and Ophipogon planiscarpus nigrescens, which is sometimes called black dragon. It looks very much like a black grass, but apparently it's not grass. That's right, Richard. So just quickly going back to the birch, so you can choose any birch, for example, some of them have more whiter stems than others. So a named cultivar such as uh, Jack Montii will have a much shinier white uh, trunk than the normal Betula pendula. So you could choose a named cultivar or you could have a more natural Betula pendula. So anything uh, that begins with Betula, is that birch or are there some Betulas that aren't birches? No, all birches are in the genus Betula. They don't all have white trunks. Right. So you have to choose one that does. And you're going here for the black with the Ophipogon and the white bark yes. and the birch. You've got a, quite a tall tree that you need plenty of space for with the birch. And my idea is to underplant it with this hardy evergreen perennial called Ophiopogon planiscarpus nigrescens. It's a very short-growing hardy evergreen perennial only grows up to about 20 centimeters tall but it spreads into a clump about 30 centimeters wide each plant so as you say it's very grass-like in its appearance and the foliage is almost black when you look very closely it's actually um a dark shade of purple but you really wouldn't guess that from a distance i think it's the sort of plant that the adams family would probably plant in their garden (laughs) um Ophiopogon planiscarpus nigrescens needs full sun to keep that foliage colour, or a bit partial shade is okay as well, and it needs moist, well-drained, loamy soil. It does also have flowers which are purple and bell-shaped, and they appear in July and August. The flowers are followed by dark blue fruit. And this one has the RHS Award of Garden Merit, which we've spoken about a few times in previous episodes of the podcast, which is an award the RHS gives to plants which are known to perform well in generally most gardens. That's right, Richard. And I suppose if you compared it to what award do you get if you're marketing a product in the shops? A kite mark? Um, Yes, I... I don't know. I know what you mean. I know where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, it's, it's an award of quality. Like an Oscar. And, yeah. An Oscar for plants. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose it could easily get taken away. I don't know. I don't know if, it's a, um, I don't know if, if these plants will always have the RHS Award of Garden Merit. That would be an interesting question to, to ask if ever you saw Sue Biggs at a show again, Richard. I'll have to nab her and have a word, yes. Is the RHS Award of Garden Merit a lifetime or will that plant always have that award? Or, or... I couldn't see how it could change and my logic being there that the plant's going to do well because of its genetics and that's been for thousands if not millions of years ingrained in this particular species of plant that's not going to change it's always going to do well in certain conditions and if depending on what their criteria for the ward is if it's chosen because it does well it can tolerate certain dry conditions or certain lack of sun for so long then that's not going to change in the plant is it no, I'm just wondering if an even better cultivar were to come along with the same characteristics in terms of the type of soil that it can cope with and its robustness, but it was an even better variety. Or a, a yeah. similar plant. I don't know. Interesting question. We'll have to see if we can find out. Would both have the award of garden merit or would they just switch it from one to the other? It's difficult, isn't it? 
It is. I don't know whether there's a limit to how many they give out or they just feel that's a good plant, we'll give it a, a seal of approval sort of sticker. That's right. Anyway, it's got the award of RHS Award of Garden Merit at the moment, so it's a good plant to have in your garden. And it really does look incredibly striking underneath the birch, George. I think it's a very good choice. I do quite like that. Well, I can't say it's my idea, Richard, because I have seen this at um, the National Trust property at uh, Anglesey Abbey. Ah, the Winter Garden, yeah. 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 So it was uh, an idea that I've seen elsewhere. I'm not going to claim that it's my idea. Well, a jolly good one anyway. Yeah, credit to the head gardener at Anglesey Abbey. Okay. (laughs) We'll have to see if we can get him on the podcast at some point. Jobs to do in the garden. Now, jobs to do in the garden, George. What jobs are there to do in February? In February, we should have cold winter weather. We don't actually at the moment in the UK. So if by any chance we have snow, if any heavy snow falls, you can shake it off the branches of any trees and shrubs to prevent them snapping under the weight of the snow. I think you're more likely at the moment to want to hold an umbrella over the plants so they don't get too much water at the roots. (laughs) It's a very good time of year to get your lawnmower serviced and the blade sharpened because you're obviously not using it at this time of year. So what usually happens if you speak to the companies and the one-man bands that that service lawnmowers is you'll find that people will take their lawnmowers to them just as they want to use them in the beginning of April or something like that. And they'll have a mad rush, And there's a mad queue. So this time of year when most people aren't thinking about doing that is a very good time to get it done. Also, if the weather's horrible outside, why not start to look through some seed catalogues and decide what you'd like to grow from seed when the spring arrives? If it is okay to go outside, we we can, at this time of year, we can be wisteria pruning. And there's a good article about that on our website. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes for this page. Um, I guess if you're getting your lawnmower blades sharpened, now could be a good time to go through all your gardening tools and make sure they're in tip-top condition. Absolutely. If um, you can sharpen blades uh, of shears and secateurs, you can do that yourself. Or you might be able to get a deal with whoever does your lawnmower for you. They might That's a good to... idea. Take down the secateurs and a few yeah. other tools and get them all done at the same time. Because it's important to get it right um, with the shears and secateurs because you can, you can spend a while what you think you're doing is sharpening the blade. But if you get the angle wrong, then you can actually be blunting the blade. <laughs> And by sharpening the blade, you're going to do yourself a favour. It's easier to cut through things and you're going to do less damage to the plant as well, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, myself being a professional gardener, I use shears, secateurs in particular, I use a lot, particularly in the spring. I often replace my secateurs every year simply because they do get blunt. And I think if I replace my secateurs every year, then I'm avoiding the... um, I'm avoiding building up any diseases on the blades. And that's an interesting point, yes. I suppose if you're doing gardening for lots of different people and transferring things, you you could transfer disease or fungi from one garden to another, couldn't you? Yes, and it's not always practical to clean secateurs between one garden and the next. You know, if I'm working in five or six gardens in a day... That's a lot of faffing around, yeah. Yeah, so um, I like to keep the secateurs sharp and as clean as possible. Interesting. In the vegetable garden. And in the vegetable garden, George, what should we be looking at sowing inside or outside and planting out and harvesting? 
Well, indoors, so in on the kitchen windowsill or in a heated greenhouse, you could be sowing aubergines, peppers and onions. Outside, if the soil is dried out, of course, probably too waterlogged to be sowing seeds outside at the moment, uh, you could be sowing broad beans, onions and carrots. And you can be planting out crowns of rhubarb, uh, garlic bulbs and shallots. Uh, not garlic bulbs, garlic cloves, the individual cloves, which will grow into a bulb. And you can be harvesting at this time of year leeks and cabbages. Aubergines, what sort of conditions do they need to grow? I, I would never have considered growing aubergines myself. They sound a little exotic, eggplants, some people call them, don't they? That's right, they're lovely. And uh, what's the uh, Greek dish that you use? Asaka. That's right, yeah. Yeah, you can grow them in this country, providing you've got the uh, the heat and they also, as far as I'm aware, I think they want a bit of humidity as well, so a bit of misting around the leaves. Would you need a greenhouse, really, for those? Yes, or I think you could probably start them in um, on the kitchen windowsill if, if you only want to grow one or two. Because they grow quite big, don't they, aubergine? Yes, they do. So it's literally a case of starting them off at this time of year and getting them going in the warm, and then by the time they've grown a bit, you should be able to transfer them out into the greenhouse in April or May, I would guess. Okay. Not sure we'll give those a try because we don't really have a greenhouse, but we do like aubergine and we do like moussaka. So it could be something to think of. Yes, grow your own moussaka. <laughs> if you've got your own sheep as well. <laughs> plants of note. Now, plants of note, George, what have you chosen for us this month? So this month, our plants of note are Philostachys nigra. We've got rather a black theme this month, haven't we, Richard? This is I the guess so, yeah. This is the black bamboo. But this is the stalk, isn't it? The stem which goes black on this. That's right. Um, you have to be patient with this one. The black uh, stems of this bamboo, you'll only get them after three or four years. So they have to mature for that amount of time before you get that very stunning, shiny, polished appearance on them. It really does give a contrast between the stem and the leaves, though. Yes, absolutely, and the leaves are evergreen. And again, this plant holds the RHS Award of Garden Merit. A lot of people choose this bamboo because it's not one of the most invasive ones. Yeah, they can be troublesome, can't they? Yeah, I mean, it still can grow three metres wide and probably further than that over a long period of time. I would, so I would always recommend that if you like a bamboo in your garden, either grow it in a very big pot... Or if you want to grow it in the soil, surround it with a non-perishable plastic barrier. Alternatively, which I have done in people's gardens before, is providing you can dig a hole that is deep enough to do this, you could sink, you know, one of those plastic dustbin. Yeah, yeah. You could sink one of those into the soil so that the top sort of uh, two or three, four inches right. of the dustbin is, is protruding from the soil surface. Yeah. And then you could plant the bamboo into that, and that would restrict it. That is excellent idea, because that is like a massive pot, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it would uh, probably cheaper than trying to source a ring of plastic material. I would think you should be able to get a dustbin, a plastic dustbin, quite cheap. The only downside is that is one huge hole to dig, George. Yeah, you take your time, though, don't you? (laughs) Do it over a few weeks, maybe. Pay the kids, give them a bit of pocket money so you can dig a hole, you can have some extra pocket money. Yeah, uh, convince them that they might get to Australia. <laughs> you never know, they might find something in the soil that, you know, might be a little archaeological dig. Yeah, tell them some buried treasure down there. 
Yeah. So going back to the Philostachys nigra, it can grow up to five metres tall and three metres wide, and it needs a moist, nutritious, loamy soil in full sun or partial shade. I do like that plant. I think it's very elegant. Yes, I do, Richard. It's um, a fantastic plant. The other reason I like it is when you get a windy day, you can hear it blowing Rustling, around Rustling, yeah. yeah. The other plant of note this month is Corylus avalana contorta, the corkscrew hazel. During the winter months, it's an excellent visual point for the winter garden. It's a hardy, deciduous shrub, again with the RHS Award of Garden Merit. And the stems are like roller coasters with very contorted branches that turn from one direction to another. They really Uh, are very twisted. And I believe quite a few flower arrangers use the stems for the flower arranging because it gives such a, a contrast against, I guess, straight stems. Yes, and it must be, particularly at this time of year, it must be quite hard to source interesting material for floral arrangements. So, yeah, it gives an architectural feel to the flower arrangement, doesn't it? It does, very much so. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Between February and March, it has uh, golden yellow catkins, which are its flowers, of course. And once the catkins have finished, it has mid-green leaves that unfurl, and they're they're quite uh, sort of corrugated twisted leaves as well it's a shrub that can grow up to three meters tall and three meters wide and if you have a chalky soil in your garden which a lot of people struggle with if they have because you're quite limited what you can plant on chalky chalky is going to be alkaline is it that's right yeah with a high ph it's an excellent plant to grow on chalky soil now i'm surprised with the name hazel i suppose i've got this vision of hazel trees and things but it's actually a shrub this one isn't it that's right, and the common hazel is a shrub as well. It's a very is it? I yeah. thought I always kind of thought a hazel was a tree. No, a hazel is a is a shrub. Okay, and of course, the difference between a shrub and a tree is how many stems it's got. A tree so, just has the single stem coming yeah. up and then branches out. So I suppose you could train a hazel with one stem, but more commonly, in ancient woods, for example, they would be multi-stemmed. Yeah. And they would be regularly coppiced to make charcoal. Right. So a normal hazel wood, still today, I think people make charcoal out of hazel wood and it gets regularly coppiced, cut down every one or two years. I wouldn't try using this thing, the charcoal, though. If you were going to try making charcoal sticks, they'd be very funny shapes. Yeah, they would, wouldn't they? No, no, no. This is a... This is an ornamental shrub for the uh, for a medium to large size garden, and it really does make an architectural statement. I think, doesn't it, with all the uh, all the twists and curves and very gnarly looking. Yes, and as I said, it's the roller coaster effect. That's how I could best describe it. Yeah, think of a roller coaster track. A nice one, and again, RHS Award of Garden Merit. We seem to have done well this month. Quite a few have got the RHS Award of Garden Merit. So. If you do pick any of those, I think you've got a good chance of it being successful in your garden. Well, that's about all for this month from us. If you've got any questions, please email us at podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. You can also find us online uh, on Twitter at Plant Advice or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash plantadvice. 
We've also got a regular monthly newsletter that we send out to email to everybody um, who subscribes. And if you do subscribe, we give you a free ebook on how to get the perfect garden lawn. Starting to approach that time of year, George, to start thinking about your lawn, isn't it? Yes, I mean last last year we weren't really thinking about lawns until April at the earliest because we had a very long, very cold winter. And this year I think it'll be some time before lawns have drained enough to actually get on them and work on them. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy cutting a lawn at the moment. You get bogged down with your lawn mower, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. Oh well. Uh, a few months away from that perhaps anyway that's all from us for this episode thank you ever so much for listening and we'll hope you listen again next month until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me this podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs